Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Hello, everyone. Uh, This past Sunday was a bit of a unique experience for us where we were walking through the different elements of uh, the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray in a way that it helps us to kind of immerse ourselves in each moment and just asking those questions. What is it that Jesus is trying to teach us about what prayer really is? And so I wanted to give a little bit of an introduction right now and explain very briefly uh, what it is that we did. So our text for this past Sunday was from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Um, And it says this, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. And so it's interesting to me that when his disciples ask him about prayer, Jesus doesn't say, well, just whatever's on your heart, that's good enough. You know, I think a lot of us just kind of, rather than genuinely praying, we just exercise our anxieties out loud. And indeed, it's often only the times when we need something from God that we open ourselves up to prayer. And we tend to scramble around knowing what is it that we are supposed to pray and how are we supposed to present our petitions Uh, to God. And I love the way that Jesus kind of leads us in a different direction. Rather than saying, just pray whatever comes naturally, he says, no, this is how you should pray. And so letting Jesus teach us how to pray gives us this mature understanding, first of all, who God is. Secondly, what is God up to in the world? And then thirdly, what are the things that we can ask him for? Um, And I've been increasingly under this conviction, especially preparing for this past Sunday, that being a Christian is less about what you know, but how you pray. That our faith isn't an intellectual ascent. It's not about gathering information. It's about participating. And we call that participation prayer. Now, most of us think about prayer being words, and indeed, I think that's probably uh, the most well-known and indeed powerful form of prayer. But really, prayer is participation of our full self, uh, that our mind, our heart, our body, our spirit, all are focused on developing intimacy with God, being in a particular posture to acknowledge who he is, and then to open ourselves to allowing the reality of who God is as revealed in Jesus to transform us, to transform our will and our desires, and then to transform the things that we're asking for him. So to pray like Jesus prays is to become shaped like Jesus. And so as we entered into the space, we were delving into each individual element of that prayer. And you'll find in a lot of your Bibles, each little portion of the prayer has a little asterisk or a little footnote that expands what that portion might say, uh, because there's other manuscripts that have a more in-depth version of this prayer. And it would read like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, 
for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And so you were going to jump back into the recording from this past Sunday and just really delve into the questions that are asked of us from each of those different elements of this beautiful prayer that our Lord has gifted us with in order to understand what it means to grow more mature in him day by day. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is the way that the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray begins. Sometimes we're so desperate to connect with God when we need something that God becomes the giant ATM in the sky. And the first thing out of our mouths is, here's my list, here's my laundry list of needs and requirements and you need to show up in this way and then that's how we kind of do the thing. And it shapes how we know what to ask for. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What happens when we begin our prayers, not with all of our needs and our anxieties, but we begin our prayers with adoration of who God is? Because what it does is it brings us back into alignment with our created intention that we were created to worship God, not to ask him for things. We were created to acknowledge who he is, to celebrate the beauty of who he is, to call all of creation together in worship of him, in relationship to him. When we begin our prayers with adoration, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, what we're doing is that we're elevating God beyond just the function in our lives. It's no longer a transactional relationship. It's a relationship of, of acknowledge, profound acknowledgement of who God is at the core of his being. And it dramatically shifts when it comes time for us to ask for what we need because he desires us to do so, but he wants us to know who it is that we're asking of. And I love that this prayer that Jesus teaches doesn't start with my Father in heaven, it says our Father in heaven. Because the second, the subtext that not only is it about acknowledging who God really is as Father, and that his name is holy, that's what hallowed means, it's our Father together. Because this God has a shape, this God isn't a philosophical idea. This God has a personality and this God is on the move and this God is doing something in the human race where he's creating a new family out of people who look to heaven and say, oh, our father, us together, we pray as one. Do you realize you, as a Christian, you are never alone when you pray? Ever. You are never alone when you pray because we always start with our father all of us together, brothers and sisters, time, space, denomination, all of it. We are praying this together. We are never alone because we have been saved into a family. And so what does the name of God mean most profoundly to you in this season in your life? How is he revealing himself? What is he whispering to you in the new ways that you need to understand who he is to have a fuller picture and appreciation so that you can adore him? I want you to take that first index card uh, from your clipboard. And I'm gonna just pray here in a moment and I want you to consider what's, what's the name of God for me right now is most profound. It's the one that I'm swimming in the most or I'm experiencing the most. And I want you to write that name on there and then you're going to bring those and you're gonna clip them kind of to the centers. This is a symbol that out of this acknowledgement of God as our Father in heaven, all our other prayers radiate. And so you're gonna take one of your clothespins um, and you're going to pin that 
onto uh, one of the strings that are around this kind of central function here. Um, so I'm going to pray, and I'm going to give you a couple minutes to do that, considering um, what, is the, what name of God means the most to you right now. Lord, we confess that a lot of times we just jump straight in thinking you, more of you as our landlord than our father, that we call you up and we give you a list of demands so that you fulfill a contract obligation to us. And we're sorry, Lord, for that. We're sorry for these wrong expectations that we've placed on you and we've forgotten who you really are. Teach us how to adore you, to see the beautiful aspects of your character, that you are holy, that you're set apart, but you're so present to us, that you're not our landlord, you're our father. So God, I pray right now for each of your dear ones in this room, would you reveal to us a name that you carry that speaks most profoundly to how we're experiencing you in this season so that we might adore you. We pray these things in the strong name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So once you write on that index card, I invite you to come forward and to clip it to this pillar in the center of the room. Your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Even now, we're not just asking for what we want, you see? Already the prayer is being shaped by this acknowledgement, this is the God that we worship, that he's our father, that he resides in this place called heaven, and that his name is holy, that he's set apart from us, but he's so close to us both at the same time. So what happens when we submit to God, when we trust God? that God's desires are going to shape our desires? What happens when we begin by acknowledging who God really is, and then we say, your will be done? Not only is this who you are, but I recognize these are the things that you desire to do in and through your creation, and these are the things that you desire to do in and through me. Because as human beings, just like God has a shape, we have a shape, we have a form, there's a way that God has created for us to be, to do, to act, to be in the world. But we need that revelation of heaven to come to us, to, to set us on the right path, to redeem us, to bring us back into relationship with God so that we can learn what our true identity is in Christ. And I love that, you know, in the messages of Jesus, he would talk about sometimes in the kingdom of God in Luke, it's the kingdom of heaven in Matthew, but he's always talking about this, this same thing. It's the new reality of God that is present on the earth. When Jesus goes out to preach the good news, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what he's saying is change the way that you think because the reality of God and what he's doing in the world right now is so close that you can almost touch it. And so we enter into the kingdom with this expectation that it moves from heaven to earth and not the other way around. That we don't go up into heaven and tell God who he is and tell him who we are and tell him all the things that we need from him. But we pray, heaven come to earth. The new realities of God to be immersed in the creation. As it says in the Old Testament, as the waters cover the sea. How can the waters cover the sea? Because it's being drenched, it's being saturated in the reality of who God is and his redemptive work through Jesus, through the Spirit, and through the church. And so I want to challenge you in that second index card. What's an area of your life right now where you need to see heavenly reality come to earth? What's an area in your life? And maybe you're even a little bit afraid to pray it, to say, your will be done, not mine. 
The same way that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's betrayed and handed over to Pontius Pilate and to the religious elite says, God, if there's any other way this could go, please, but not my will, but your will be done. What's an area in your life that you need to risk opening up and allowing heaven to come to earth to see God's will done in that space. I'm gonna pray and what you're gonna do is you're gonna take that second clip once you've, once you've come to that prayer and you're gonna clip it onto these red fabric cords as a symbol that these are the prayers that radiate from acknowledging who God is. So Father, we need new revelation of the kingdom of heaven. We need new revelation of what heaven is like. We need new revelation of your will be done and not our own. And that requires a lot of trust and that requires a lot of risk to put aside our desires and our agendas and to say you first and to trust that whatever you have in store for us is good because you are by definition goodness itself. So Lord, would you reveal to each of us something in our lives, a relationship, an event, um, something that we're struggling with mentally, emotionally, physically, where we need to see your will be done, where we need to see heaven come to earth. Would you speak to us now, Lord, for we are listening. Just take some time to pray over that. And then when you're ready, and clip your prayer to one of those red cables. Give us each day our daily bread. We acknowledge who God is. We submit our wills to his own and say, whatever it looks like for heaven to come to earth, that's what we desire. And then it comes to our needs. We grow up in a society that tells us that we're supposed to be self-reliant. That's the ultimate goal of being an adult. And in fact, that's how you measure adultness. How self-reliant are you? Do you depend on anybody? Well, you need to amass as much wealth as you can and, and, and be as secure as possible within yourself. You need to buy the house with the picket fence in the cul-de-sac that's far away from all of the dangerous people. And, and you need to do all of this on your own strength. And sometimes we import that into the Christian narrative. And when we tell, give our testimonies, it goes like this. Oh, I was a terrible, needy person once, but now I'm fine. I'm awesome. I've got it all together. I'm just moving from glory to glory. And what we're saying is, yeah, I needed Jesus at one point, uh, but thanks very much. I, I could take it from here, Jesus, and we move on. And so when it comes time for us to ask God for what we want, what if we allowed the reality of who God is and what it means for heaven to come to earth to shape that, to recognize that what God wants is our reliance on him because anything else is an illusion. You hear me in that? Like, it's a complete illusion to believe that we can be self-reliant. And so Jesus asks us to pray, give us today our daily bread. Calling back to the story in Exodus when Israel is being delivered from slavery in Egypt into freedom in the promised land and they're in the desert for 40 days and, and God gives them this manna. The word manna means what is this? And it only lasts for a day. They try to store it up. They try to be self-sufficient. They try to do it on their own, but it kind of rots because God is teaching them. It's about day by day reliance on me. Am I enough for you? Can you trust me to take care of your needs? What happens if we pray daily bread prayers? 
that we ask God to give us enough. Enough is a scary word in our society. To say, God, I just want enough today that I still rely on you. Thousands of years after the Exodus, Jesus is sitting at the Passover celebration with his disciples, his dear ones, and they're reenacting that Passover story uh, through these sacred rituals and this food and this drink. But Jesus begins to reinterpret some of those symbols from the Passover, the moving from death to life, the moving from being enslaved to freedom. And what happens is that he takes this bread that's part of the, 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 the ceremony and he holds it up and he says, this is, is my body broken for you. And then later he takes this cup, this mysterious cup that was part of the ceremony that we would never drink of as an acknowledgement of Isaiah being with us. And he, he lifts it up and he says, this cup, this is my blood shed for you. And whenever you drink of this cup and whenever you eat of this bread, you do this in remembrance of me. And the word that Jesus uses for remembrance doesn't mean, oh, remember this thing that I did once upon a time 2,000 years ago and how nice that was. But it means take what was true in the past and bring it back into the present so that it can happen again. And when you and I, when we come to the Holy Communion, when we come to the Eucharist, which means gift, when we come to the Lord's table, we're doing this in remembrance of Jesus, that it's through him the world is being saved. And when we take into ourselves the body and blood of Jesus, we're claiming that for ourselves all over again to make what was true then true again in this moment. So I invite you to stand with me and I'm going to pray and we have uh, four stations here set up for you to come and to participate in Holy Communion. And as you do that, I want you to be thinking about that. It's about daily bread. It's about reliance on God. I cannot save myself. I can't fix myself. The whole point of this story, of the human story, is not for me to become big and strong and to constantly win, but to be in intimate relationship with my Father in heaven, trusting that he is good and that he will provide for me day by day. And so let's pray and come to the table. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this living symbol that is the Holy Communion. May this cup and this bread be for us the body and blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That as we come forward, as we're asking for you to give us bread for the journey, that we're asking for you to give us enough to keep the relationship going, to remind us that we are dependent creatures, that you created us for relationship with you, that we wouldn't run on ahead of you because you've given us what we want, but that we continue to walk with you day by day. And may this symbol of Holy Communion be for us that remembrance, that calling into the present moment, the salvation of our whole person that comes through Jesus Christ. That even though he was equal with you, he didn't consider equality something to be taken advantage of, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a slave, becoming obedient even to death on a cross. But that through that victory, that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord over all, through all, and in all. Amen. Let's come to the table. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. 
Forgiveness is one of the practical marks of the Christian life. It should be one of the things that we're known for, although we're not very good at that. So we need forgiveness for not being very forgiving. And what does that mean? What is forgiveness? What are we asking forgiveness from? I think the question for us when we say forgive us our sins is to say, what holds me back from living out the story that God has called me to live? What are the things that I have thought, that I have said, that I have done that have taken me off the tracks, that have led me away from God's plan for my life, for living fully the life that he has called me to live? Because I've believed something else about him. Because I've believed something else about myself or about how the world works. You know, sometimes we feel like we've, we've messed it up. We missed the moment. And we, we're irredeemable. We could never come back to God. Surely this was the sin that's unforgivable that keeps me away from him. And he continually calls us back home. He stands in the doorway, scanning the horizon, waiting for us in repentance to turn and to come home and to sit with him and to engage with him. What are the things in your life right now, things that you've said, that you've done, that you have thought, that have held you back? They've tied you to a moment in the past and you feel like you can't move forward. What do you need forgiveness from today? But Jesus also raises the stakes because he ties us receiving forgiveness from God to our ability to, re- to forgive other people. Forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Who right now are you holding back from them living freely because of the way that you think about them, because of what you've said to them, because of what you've done Or maybe it's the other way around. It's something that they've done to you or they've said to you and you want to hold on to unforgiveness with everything you can because gosh darn it, it's the only control in this life that you have. Unforgiveness is the only control that you have. That you can crucify other people for what they've said and what they've done and what they've thought. And I think Jesus ties these two things together, us receiving forgiveness from God and our ability to forgive other people Because he knows that if we do not practice forgiving others, we are incapable of receiving forgiveness from God. Not because he's not giving it, but because our fists are squenched so tight around unforgiveness of other people that we cannot possibly receive anything. And we see God on the cross, the best image of what God is like. Jesus on the cross is the ultimate forgiveness that all our sins are being put to death through the victory of the cross. And that as resurrection people, as little Christs, we practice that same pattern. We are cross-shaped now. That instead of practicing an eye for an eye, instead of maintaining the control of unforgiveness, we echo the words of Jesus on the cross, Father God, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And even if they do, forgive them anyway. Because Lord knows we've all been in that situation. And so the next practice that I want to encourage you to is that final sheet of paper. You'll see that it's, it's halved. And on one side, it says, forgive me. To say, what, what do I need forgiven from right now in my life? What do I recognize as holding me back from living into the story that God is calling me to? And the other set per, part says, as I forgive. 
Where is the unforgiveness in my own heart towards somebody else? And what you're going to do is I'm going to pray and I want you to consider what do you need forgiven from and what do you need to forgive somebody else for and write those things down. And then in the forgive us our sins ring, there are four small tables and each of them there are scissors. And you're going to come up to that table with this piece of paper, but you yourself don't get to cut it in half. You have to have somebody else do that for you to recognize that forgiveness, the breaking of this vicious cycle of holding people back, of holding ourselves back, of being enslaved to the past, that somebody else has to set you free. And that person's going to kind of play the role of Jesus to take those scissors and to cut those things apart so that either you can receive forgiveness from God and you can forgive other people. And then it, you get to turn around and to do that for somebody else. And then finally, I want you to bring those, those confessions to the Lord up front. And in these two baskets, the one on your left is going to be for the sins that we want forgiven from. And the one on the right is the sins that we need to forgive others for. So I'm going to pray. You're going to take some time, write those out, move to those tables, have somebody else cut them in half, and then bring them forward as a sacrifice to God. Everybody clear? That's a lot of instructions, I know. <laughs> but trust me, it's going to be cathartic. Let's pray. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have not done. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Speak to us, Lord. Reveal what is within us that's holding us back from living into your story. Take some time to pray and then move. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Walter Willeman wrote in a book about this prayer. He says, Christians are those who ask to be saved. What a beautiful definition for who we are in this room this morning. We are people that through our words, through our actions, are asking to be saved. We recognize things aren't the way that they're supposed to be. We call that justice. Something wells up within each one of us that looks around at the world, looks at our own lives and goes, no, this is not it. This isn't the way that it's supposed to be. But it also doesn't seem to be something we can get out of on our own. We need a savior. We need someone to come alongside of us to rescue, to redeem us, to give us a new name, to give us a new trajectory. But the reality of this life is that when we move from numbness to that awareness that something needs to change, it stirs up opposition. If you are a numb person, if you are convinced that you don't need to be saved, you're never are going to face any opposition from the evil one. Are you aware of the powers of evil that are seeking to keep you distracted? to keep you numb, to keep you tempted. That maybe God isn't real, maybe none of this is real. 
The best thing that you can do is get your slice of the pie, take care of yourself, pursue power, pursue fame, pursue whatever it is that's on your heart because ultimately that is more real than what you're being offered in the God that's revealed in Jesus. Are you aware of the powers of evil that are seeking to keep you distracted? His name is the Satan, it means the accuser, the one who comes along and accuses God. God isn't really who he says he is. The one who whispers in your ear when you're in places like this, you aren't really who you think you are. This is too good to be true. This isn't really what's going on. It's best to just keep your head down, mind your own business, and get on with your own life. But we pray, lead us not into temptation, not because we think that God would tempt us, but that we recognize that God is always leading us somewhere. He's leading us to deliverance. He's leading us to salvation. He's leading us to new life and new hope. The antidote to to hopelessness, the antidote to despair, the antidote to numbness is to first wake up and realize that things are not the way they are and then to welcome a new vision of hope that can only come from God. And so what we're going to do in our final part of this, as I said at the beginning, being a Christian is less about what you know and it's more about how you pray. We're going to lay hands and pray for one another. These two things that we would resist temptation, and that we would be delivered from the evil one, from the Satan, from the powers and principalities that seek to keep us small, to keep us powerless. So I want to invite all of you to stand. And my challenge to you is to be given courage through this prayer to lay hands and to pray for one another. Whatever that person needs prayer, where are they struggling with temptation? Where are they struggling with being in bondage to the lies of the evil one? And through your words to believe that God will actually move and will do something to help that person continue on track. So I'm gonna pray and we're gonna take some time. I want you to partner off into groups of two or three and to lay hands on each other as a symbol of solidarity and to pray for one another for deliverance. Heavenly Father, we recognize that there is more at work than what meets the eye. That kind of beneath and above and within this reality, there is an even deeper reality. And we're not always sensitive to it. We've been distracted. We've been told that this is all there is. And it's kept us powerless. Lord, open our eyes to see the reality of heaven. To hear your voice calling down to us. This is my son, this is my daughter with whom I am well pleased. Help us to recognize the kingdom advancing in us, through us, and around us. And give us the words to speak that we may call others into that recognition of what's really going on in this world so that we can remain faithful to you. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's turn, lay hands, and pray over one another.
As we close out, I want us to pray this prayer together. But as a symbol of that very first line, our Father, I want us to pray it in solidarity. So I want to invite everybody to come into the center and kind of create rings around the center and to take hands with other people. I hope you all washed your hands today. And we're just going to create concentric circles. Perfect. And we're going to pray this prayer together. If you don't know it, that's okay. It's going to be up on the screen, so hopefully you're in a place where you can see one of those screens. Is everybody in? Just take hands with whomever's next to you. Love it. Yes. And so, brothers and sisters, family of God, let us pray together on the screens. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The kingdom forever and ever. Amen. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.